You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Hello, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Rogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. It's October 1st, and that means it's Women's Health Month. And, of course, there's a focus on uh, breast and ovarian cancer awareness. You know, being a proactive part of your health care is essential to detecting and treating cancer. What are some of the steps women in our lives can take to detect and treat cancer and are there new and innovative medical treatments that we can take advantage of i'm thrilled to welcome today on our show a friend dr nilish patel he's been on with us several times in the past he is a radiation oncologist at tanova and he is joining us to talk about women's health guidelines cancer prevention some challenges moving forward and then medical innovations that are being introduced Good morning, Dr. Patel. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Um, let's back up for a second, Dr. Patel. Uh, as you were you know, going through all of your education and training, what made you decide to focus on radiation oncology? Well, that's, that's a great question. And obviously, you know, going through medical school and the field of medicine, there's so many specialties that, that are available. And a lot of times when you go through that process, you realize what you don't want to do versus what you do. But, uh, you know, initially I had an interest in radiology, you know, reading x-rays and reading out CT scans. But, uh, you know, I couldn't stay awake in a dark room all, oh, no. all day. <laughs> but uh, then I did a rotation um, uh, in oncology and got exposed to you know cancer care and dealing with patients. And as part of that rotation, was able to see a few procedures that involved radiation therapy, um, especially actually a cervical cancer case where uh, a woman had to undergo radiation treatment, chemotherapy uh, for management. And that really sparked my interest and I pursued more um, uh, rotations in that field. And that's what kind of led me doing what I'm doing because it's a great combination of developing, you know, close patient rapport, especially in folks that are dealing with a very, you know, major issue in their lives that can impact not just themselves but their family and friends. And in my field, you know, it's very technology based in terms of the advances that are made as time goes by in terms of improving, you know, the delivery and the sophistication of radiation as well. Yeah, I know it's amazing what's happened just in the last I mean, it seems like five, six, seven years things just constantly changing we're going to get into some of those things i can't um tell you how many how often i hear when i talk to doctors medical doctors about how their rotations and being exposed to all the different things you do when you're doing your training and education expose them to something and all of a sudden something clicked and it maybe was not necessarily what you initially thought you know my sister was a psychiatrist she passed away a few years ago, but she always wanted to be a thoracic surgeon. 
and she did a, psych- a psychiatry rotation like late in her training. I don't know when that would have been in med school or whether it would have been in her residency, but she just fell in love with it. So seems like in, in on radiation oncology, Dr. Patel, you have to really have a passion and a heart for people. I mean, as you say, that you're dealing with serious issues, right? No, absolutely. And, you know, some people may think it's more of a technical thing, but, you know, you're seeing folks, you know, on a weekly basis while they're getting their treatment. And it's not just the medical aspect, you know, how their tumor is responding to treatment, how they're physically doing, but the emotional and psychological aspects of having to deal with this kind of diagnosis which sometimes can be very early stage and very curable, but sometimes can be more advanced and much more difficult to treat. And sometimes, unfortunately, the outcomes are not what we'd like them to be. But to help, you know, those folks and our patients to go through that process, not only to give them the best possible care, but also to give them that mental and emotional support to face, you know, the treatment obstacles and the challenges that they have to go through. So um, it is, you know, you're vested emotionally in your in your patients, and sometimes you have to have a balance of, you know, not getting overly attached, where that can sometimes affect you as a physician. Yeah, that's tough you know? too. So yeah, I don't know. It just seems to me. I mean, I know there's exceptions, um, but it seems like you have to have a heart for people to be in that field. But let's talk about screenings. Uh, we know early detection is so so important when it comes to breast screenings. Seems like some of the recommendations over the years have kind of changed. So where are we on recommendations for routine breast screenings? Yeah, so, uh, you know, if people have been in touch with uh, the screening guidelines over years, things kind of change and evolve. And mainly that's based on public health data and looking at, you know, how many women and what age they need mammograms or screening and then how much, you know, cost is involved with doing these kind of screening mammograms and then all the workup subsequent to that. But essentially, you know, we have to look at different factors in terms of screening as well. You know, family history being an important part of that. You know, if there is a family member that has been diagnosed with breast cancer or pre-invasive breast cancer or entities that could predispose them to breast cancer, then obviously screening should start at an earlier age. Sometimes getting a mammogram baseline at 40 is what's typically recommended, but sometimes you may consider doing it earlier, especially if there's a strong family history, just so you have uh, eyes on that situation. So somebody without a history, age 40? Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much the typical guideline. And then how often? And then, and, then, and then generally it's recommended for yearly screening mammogram. Yeah. And obviously you also recommend for women to do kind of a monthly self-breast exam as well, just to be on the lookout for any unusual lumps or bumps in their breast that, that's not, that, that's not uh, typical for them. And obviously if there is a change, you know, bring it to your doctor's attention. Now, how about cervical screenings? What's the recommendation on that? So generally, um, you know, after um, age 18 or 21, depending on, you know, the sexual activity of the individual, um, screening's typically done once a year. But if it's considered a low-risk result, then now it's evolved in terms of pap smears and cervical screenings every three years if there are no uh, unusual features or high-risk features involved with that. So that's kind of come out. Uh, and fortunately, we've done a great job with cervical cancer. If women are getting screened appropriately, that you can catch these entities before they become frankly cancerous. You know, precancerous lesions can be treated very early and have great outcomes. So it's important to, to continue that. You mentioned sexual activity. I just want to mention this, Dr. Patel, is it's so important for young people to be transparent with their doctor 
about what's going on, right? I mean, I see, I've seen personally issues with that, you know, and then how often are they getting their screenings? But I think transparency directly with their doctor is so important in, you know, young women and young men to be. Yes, absolutely. And, and sometimes it's, it's one of those things where, you know, young, young individuals may be hesitant to share uh, whatever reason why, you know, the, the concern, what others may react, how they may react, but obviously with their, with their doctors and their physicians, it's important to be open and transparent just so that we're aware of what's going on and we can, how to best address any potential issues or findings that may come about it. Obviously there's certain things that uh, can evolve from, you know, sexually transmitted diseases that can lead to, you know, greater issues down the line, if not appropriately treated or addressed. We're visiting with Dr. Nilesh Patel. He is a radiation oncologist. It is Women's Health Month. It's October 1st. You know, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in her lifetime. That's 12.5% of women. Of course, uh, women with certain genetic mutations have a higher lifetime risk of the disease. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the BRCA1 mutation and some other concerns. We'll also dive into uh, cervical cancer, and then we're also going to get into medical innovation. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We're visiting with Dr. Nilesh Patel. He is a radiation oncologist at Tenova Healthcare we're talking about women's health. It is October 1st. Hard to believe we're already into the last quarter of the year. Uh, be careful outside. It's raining. I don't think it's going to be as uh, as bad of a rain as we had originally thought, but still be careful when you're out and about. Uh, let's kind of – I mentioned the BRCA1. Is that how you say it, the mutation? Yes. Isn't that how you say mm-hmm. it? So women with certain genetic mutations, we mentioned 1 in 12 women typically will be diagnosed – but it's estimated that over half, 55 to 65 percent of women with the BRCA1 mutation will develop breast cancer before age 70. So when should someone consider getting genetic testing for this BRCA gene? So um, that's also kind of evolved over time. Uh, typically, it was felt to be that there should be a pretty strong family history you know, multiple first-line members, you know, for a woman that's diagnosed, whether it's their mom or sister uh, that have been diagnosed with breast cancer or ovarian cancer, they should definitely get tested. But now what we're seeing is that even if there is a single family member, you know, that's a a first-degree relative that's been diagnosed, that that is an indication today to uh, do that type of genetic testing. And what's also happened is that typically we see that uh, BRCA1 or BRCA1 and BRCA2 are the are the main mutations that we most associate with early um, stage breast cancer or earlier age breast cancer. Um, but there are different mutations that are now available, now they're now out there that sometimes we don't even know the significance of. We know that there is a mutation, but we're not sure does that mean that this person is going to have a higher predisposition of developing 
you know, breast cancer or other types of cancer. So um, genetic testing does play an important role role in oncology today, uh, not uh, not in terms of therapeutics, but that does make a that is important. But also early, to really identify those individuals that need early detection and screening. Like you said, the individuals that are positive for BRCA or BRCA, you know, they have a fifty to sixty percent increased risk yeah, of developing just, yeah. breast cancer. So those individuals, you know, they may choose to do things um, dramatic as doing bilateral mastectomies pro- prophylactically, but if not, they need to be screened very early and regularly with mammograms and sometimes even additional testing like ultrasounds or MRIs um, to 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 help uh, detect these. Um, cancers earlier so as with anything else with our medical our health whether it's this or we we talk a lot about cardiovascular disease with a couple of doctors that have come on pretty regularly we just need to be really in tune to our health and you know women and men we need to take it seriously and if we have any potential issue or concern we need to have it addressed right away right absolutely yeah absolutely um now, unlike cervical cancer and breast cancer to a degree, there is not a screening test for ovarian cancer. At least I don't think there is. What are the signs or symptoms of ovarian cancer, and how can women protect themselves from it, or are there some screening tests now? You know, unfortunately, there's not you know, great screening tests uh, for ovarian cancer like there is for uh, breast cancer. You know, there's not screening mammograms or imaging that can be done for ovarian cancer or a great blood test like a PSA for men for prostate cancer. Unfortunately, ovarian cancer is one of those things where symptoms are typically the signs where there may be something going on. And women may also often develop, you know, pelvic symptoms like pain or discomfort. Um, Sometimes, you know, bleeding issues could happen for more advanced cases. You know, even simple things as like just upset stomach or nausea could be an early sign of that. So unfortunately, there's not a great screening tool for that. So it's really more being in tune with your body. Uh, you know, if there is a change or difference, uh, going and addressing it with your doctor so you can get the appropriate checkup and workup for. Let's talk about re- uh, prevention. So, you know, we, we mentioned one in eight women receive a breast diagnosis in her lifetime. And there are key risk factors that can impact a woman, a woman's health. How can women lower their risk of breast cancer as well as some of these other types of cancer? You know, whether it's ovarian or cervical or, you know, included. Right. So, you know, obviously there's not a magic bullet in terms of prevention of cancer as a whole. Uh, typically the tried and true methods of reducing your risk for just cancer as well as anything that it also helps for all your general health. Unfortunately, diet and exercise are the two pillars, which sometimes are the hardest to be regular at and, and do a great job with. Yeah. Can you, um, can you talk about lifestyle versus genetics sure, in, this, in this field? Now, sometimes with oncology, it's, it's so complex. It's almost like the more we know, the more we realize we don't know in terms of how things can evolve and whatnot. And I use just an example for that you know, sometimes you can think of smoking as a primary risk factor for lung cancer, but there are some individuals that can smoke, you know, for 50 years and nothing ever happens. And you have some individuals that's never picked up a cigarette in their life and they develop lung cancer. And those lung cancers are often driven by genetic mutations or could be caused by environmental exposures versus their own personal lifestyle or habits. So 
sometimes it's a complex interplay between the two. And so, you know, diet, your own physical health, your own environmental exposures, as well as your own genetics, which sometimes we just have no control over, sure. um, play, can play a role into cancer development. Can you talk about generally about inflammation in the body and, and how that, is there a direct correlation? We, we know it is with certain things health-wise, but what about cancer? You know, absolutely. And the more and more data that comes out, it does show that inflammation as a whole or your body's inflammatory response can be kind of a environment that helps cancer kind of grow and thrive. And what we mean by that is inflammation is typically your body's response to some outside um, factor, whether it's an infection or some allergy or whatnot, and your body responds to that. But when your body responds, obviously it's attacking or defending itself against this outside entity in that process, you know, on a cellular level, on a microscopic level, cells can be damaged in that process. And sometimes your body can do a good job of cleaning out those damaged bad cells, but what those cells can do over time is kind of evolve, mutate, or change, and that can lead to cancer cells or cancer cell development, which then can lead to, you know, more advanced stages of cancer. So anything that can help reduce that inflammatory response, I mean, not response, but that state of inflammation in your body can help. We often think of, you know, folks that are diabetics, you know, in terms of high sugar in their body as a whole, which predisposes them to a high inflammatory state. And those patients we've seen can have a higher risk of developing cancer, or if they have cancer, it's just harder to treat them. They may not have as good of outcome. So since the pandemic... You know, I've put on a little bit of weight, and I've got to get it off. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, I started working on my diet, and I ate really super clean. And in the first week, so what does that mean? I ate lean proteins, healthy fat, not too much healthy fat, but a, but a nice amount of healthy fat. And then just fresh vegetables and, and a little bit of fruit, but fresh vegetables mainly. Uh, cooked vegetables, too. So I ate super clean. And in a week, I lost 10 pounds. And I thought... Holy cow, that's got to be a ton of inflammation that was in my body that I'm flushing out. I mean, is that a, am I on the right line there? Does that mean I've probably flushed out a bunch of inflammation just no. by improving my diet? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've done a great job. Just but, that's, like that, but yeah, but that sounds like, holy cow, what, <laughs> how much inflammation have I had in my body? Right. And it's something that it can be really insidious. We don't realize, we don't, you don't necessarily feel it. Right. You don't really feel these kind of things, but you may yourself know, realize now after going through this, you know, you may have more energy. You feel like you can do more without struggling as much. You don't tire out the as joints easily. don't hurt as much. Exactly. So these are all small signs. You may not be in tune, but these all are small things that can show improvement in terms of uh, of that state that you're dealing with. Yeah. So let's talk about treatment. You know, less invasive technology and targeted therapies are constantly being studied. So what are some of the new treatments out there for breast, cervical, and ovarian cancer uh, that you've seen? So obviously some of the, the tried and true methods for, for breast cancer particularly is obviously early detection is the key, but typically surgery is often the first line of treatment. And then based on you know the stage and the grade of that cancer, it may require additional treatments, including chemotherapy or drug therapy, as well as radiation therapy. And what's happened is that techniques within those fields have really improved. And that's kind of been 
the therapeutic advantage of, of advancing treatments today. In terms of surgery, I guess you could look at, you know, now we're, we're much more targeted in terms of surgical precision. Uh, surgeons are able to use special uh, dyes and techniques that can allow them to get, you know, clean margins at the time of surgery uh, with less surgical involvement, you know, you know, instead of like in the old days using a saw, we're using a scalpel type of situation, it's if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and in that sense, in terms of chemotherapy and drug therapy, um, depending on the type of breast cancer or whatnot, um, used to be where some of these treatments would be tr what's called traditional chemotherapy, which could be a lot more toxic in terms of side effects for the individual. But now there's much more uh, evolution of what's called targeted therapies. You know, if someone expresses a certain mutation or their cancer expresses certain markers, there may be a specific drug that's best for that particular cancer. And with those targeted treatments, a lot of times you may be able to lessen some of those peripheral side effects versus traditional chemotherapy. Yeah, that's pretty wild to me that a drug could provide some targeted therapy. I mean, that's pretty wild to me, uh, you know, because you're taking it systemically. Right. That's pretty wild. Um, and then radiation treatment, we've also come so far with being able to be more targeted. No, absolutely. Right? And obviously that's, that's my specialty. That's my wheelhouse. And, uh, you know, unfortunately over the years, you know, radiation as a whole typically has a negative connotation or mindset. You think of all these side effects and people get, you know, burned and burnt up. Those are things that patients will come to me and ask, ask me about because that's what they've heard with family members that have had treatment. And obviously we have to know and see when those that treatment happened. But as techniques have evolved, what we're able to do is be much more targeted with our treatment. We're able to focus radiation just to the tumor sites, oftentimes with sparing of the normal tissues surrounding that area much, much better. And that leads to less side effects. And it used to be also that some for some folks, they would need weeks and weeks of radiation, sometimes six, seven, eight, nine weeks, which still is done for certain cancers, but for certain entities, because of the technology, we're able to shorten their treatments oftentimes to four or five individual treatment sessions. And with that, that ability, we're able to produce, you know, great outcomes, but with less side effects. Yeah, I guess the, the, the goal there is to damage as little, little surrounding tissue as possible, right? Absolutely. Can you just talk briefly about the delivery of radiation? And I may get this wrong saying this like this, so correct me. Um, but just the, the, I'll say the difference in traditional delivery of radiation versus the proton therapy. Right. So, um, in terms of radiation therapy, you know, generally, um, it's typically x-ray based radiation. Um, and so that's called photon radiation. And in the older techniques, essentially, uh, you know, you would shoot this beam of radiation, but the intensity throughout that whole beam was a hundred percent essentially. So anything that was in that field would get the full exposure. What's evolved with x-ray radiation is that now with the machines and technology, they're able to modulate that intensity of that beam. Whereas one portion of the beam could be hundred percent. Another portion of the beam could be 10%. And essentially that allows what's called dose painting, where you're able to really target the area fully, but be able to spare the surrounding tissue much better. And that's been a major evolution in terms of x-ray radiation. So this is, when you say photon, x-ray base, that's what we, th I think, of traditional Traditional, radiation. yes. And then you've got the protein delivery. Yeah. And or, I mean, excuse me, proton. And then proton therapy is using proton particles as the invisible beam to deliver radiation. And the advancement with proton radiation is that it can allow 
um, less exit dose, which means that you're able to spare the surrounding tissue much better. But like I said, with x-ray radiation as well, those advances have been made such where we're seeing much more improvement in terms of sparing tissues as well. So both techniques have had major impacts in terms of positive results. And, and could there be significant differences in their effectiveness of being targeted depending on the type of cancer, like say a prostate versus breast? Or... Right, absolutely. So there's some indications where, you know, proton therapy may be, um, may be a better option. Uh, particularly the data shows a lot of times for pediatric or spine tumors or brain tumors, there's data showing that it's much too superior. And yes, if you used older techniques of X-ray radiation, that would not be as good of treatment as proton therapy. But again, fortunately for the community, because not every everyone has access to proton therapy, the X-ray-based radiation has significantly improved and allows a very effective treatment without causing as major side effects as you would have seen even 5, 10 years ago. We're visiting with Dr. Nilesh Patel. He is the uh, radiation oncologist at Tenova. We're talking about women's health. When we come back, we're going to talk about other experimental things going on or, or just development of things like 3D imaging and also um, cost implications of cancer. So stay with us. We'll also have our dollars and cents segment. Should your retirement plan care if there is a recession ahead? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're visiting with Dr. Nilesh Patel, uh, radiation oncologist at Tenova, and we're talking about women's health here on October 1st. Uh, Before we get back to Dr. Patel, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. Should your retirement plan care if there is a recession ahead? You know, the intuitive response is yes, of course your finances should care. If you know a recession is ensuing, and I we don't know it for sure, but I do think we're going to have that probably next year, you can adjust accordingly. But think about it this way. Markets ebb and flow. We go through cycles. We go through market booms. We also go through market busts. We never know why or when, but we are going to see booms and busts. And if your portfolio is built to withstand downturns, a financial plan shouldn't actually worry too much if a, recess, if a recession is brewing or not. It should be set up to weather one, not have to take a 180-degree pivot that takes on new risks and incurs cost. 
So financial plans should have a very diligent eye and active hands. We should be strategic. But we also know how important it is to stay invested. And most behavioral mistakes when it comes to wealth management come from going in and out. And one of the big problems with timing is we have two issues with timing. It isn't just about when to get out. It's also about when to get back in. And it's just it, it just fools it, it's just devil's folly, I think. The market in and of itself is a longer term instrument when you look at things like the stock market. We have no idea what the stock market will do in the short term. If I look at the potential variability of results over a one year period, I mean in the next year we could see anywhere from a decline of forty percent to a gain of twenty five or thirty percent and everything in between. But if I go out eight or ten years, my range of potential outcomes in the stock market gets a whole lot tighter. We're not going to be down 40% per year for the next ten years. We're also not going to be up 25% per year for the next ten years. So the further we focus out into the future, the more things become much, much more predictable. And getting in and out can just be so dangerous. But we do want to be strategic. We also need to understand that, hey, if if we feel like there's a recession coming, Jim, shouldn't we be doing something about that? Well, maybe, maybe not, because the stock market, it's not looking at where we are or where we've been. It's looking at where we're likely to be going. One of the reasons the market is so volatile right now is it doesn't know how to react to different news about inflation and about Federal Reserve policy, and those two things are driving things. And the market's not looking at what happened last month. The stock market's looking at where we're going to be in six or eight months. So be careful with trying to time things like a recession. That can be very, very dangerous. However, there are a few things you can be doing. One, you should look, does your portfolio need to be rebalanced? If it's not rebalanced, you're in effect kind of making a decision about the current market events. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do that, but it should be a very measured response. Um, Are you tax smart? You know, now's a good time to be considering things like Roth conversion. You can convert in most of your, your investments, you can convert more shares to a Roth today than you could 10 months ago for the same tax cost. And then when the, eventually when the market bounces, you own more shares for a lower tax cost. Now's a good time to be thinking about tax planning. Um, you also maybe look at your short-term plans, things like buying a new car or buying a new house with interest rates where they are. Maybe you should be on pause a little bit, especially and with cars. You know, the, the, the car market is still very, very hot with new and used cars. So if you have flexibility in your planning, you do want to be strategic in the short term, but you should be preparing for recession before it happens, and then your financial plan can weather the storm. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Do please check us out at BroganFinancial.com. We've got lots of resources there. If you click on resources, we've also got all of our podcasts of our shows and our dollars and cents segments. Also, my next class, Pellissippi State Community College at Hardin Valley, my two-part class, 
Um, Thrive Financially in Retirement is October the 18th and 25th. Two two-hour sessions at Hardin Valley. Go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. Also on November 8th, I've got a one-night tax planning class, Tax Planning in the New Age, on November 8th, also at Pellissippi Hardin Valley through their business and community development. Uh, and that is PellissippiTaxPlanning.com. You can find all of our upcoming class at my website if you go to BroganFinancial.com and click on Classes. We're visiting this morning with Dr. Nilesh Patel, who's always been great to and, and generous with his time to talk to us about uh, all kinds of different issues as a radiation oncologist. Today, October 1st, we're talking about women's health. And the traditional technology, of course, Dr. Patel, for breast cancer screening has been a mammogram or ultrasound to detect abnormalities. A newer technology is breast, can breast scanning system that uses radio wave technology to improve detection. Last year, the FDA improved a 3D imaging machine that is specifically used to detect abnormalities in dense breast tissue. What are your thoughts on this and other evolving technologies in the area of cancer detection? Well, in terms of the field of oncology, you know, technological evolution has been always the key for us to not only detect cancer earlier, but also treat cancer more effectively. So anything that can allow us to detect cancer at an earlier stage or do a better job of finding cancer at its earliest stages is always something worthwhile to pursue. And obviously we'll have to see how this technology evolves and the outcomes that it shows when, when it's put into clinical practice on a larger scale. Um, but as, so, you, as you said, like mammograms have been the tried and true method and techniques within mammography have also improved with 3D mammograms, but if we can continue to improve that on top of that, that'll definitely make a difference. So I'm kind of hearing, hey, this is interesting. Uh, we definitely want to be watching this, but there's a little bit of a wait and see there. So w when FDA approves something, how should we react to something like that? I mean, the reality is medically, the jury's probably still out on this, right? Yeah, a little bit because, you know, in terms of for to really see the long-term benefits is that we do need time and data to follow things out for a longer period of time. And so, and obviously you need numbers. You need numbers of folks that have undergone this screening technology and whatnot and what kind of outcomes have we really detected cancers earlier? Is it really more sensitive and specific? So it just takes time to evaluate that data. Obviously, anything that's been FDA approved, there is definitely a lot of promise and it seems to be safe and effective in that sense. But in terms of being the new standard of care over an existing technology, that will take more time and a lot more data to prove that. Now, as women age, I'm going to kind of switch gears here a little bit, Dr. Sure. Patel. Menopause is a challenging phase for many women. Uh, they can experience a range of very uncomfortable symptoms over an average of seven years. A newer technology that has come out that is a wearable device that promises to help regulate body temperature, especially for women experiencing hot flashes. I guess it looks like a watch, sends cooling sensations to the wrist. What can women do to help manage the symptoms of menopause? And do any of the methods for coping, including hormone therapy, put them at increased risk for other types of cancers? Now, I've asked a loaded question there. I've asked about <laughs> menopause symptoms, and I've also asked about hormone therapy, so I realize I've just kind of loaded, but anyway. 
No, no, no. You're, it's, it's, you know, it's one of these issues that it, it, for women and obviously for us, we can only talk about it. We've never experienced it ourselves just being men, yeah. but there's no doubt that it's, it's a difficult time with the transition of, you know, a woman's body with the hormonal changes that happen during menopause and the symptoms that come up that can be really a major burden on their quality of life. And so, you know, and for, for, um, for treatment, you know, a lot of times hormonal therapy or reintroduction of estrogen would be very effective for those symptoms. And it's still very effective and uh, does a good job with menopausal symptoms. But there is that risk where adding estrogen back to the body can increase your risk of developing breast cancer or endometrial cancer as well. That doesn't mean it's a hard no, but it's one of those things where we just have to be very careful and making sure that if you're on hormonal therapy, are you getting the screening, the regular checkups, if there's a change in your body or your symptoms, are you reeling that to your physician? Like we talked about transparency with your doctor, you know, not waiting till things are really bad before you go get checked out. You know, that's going to be important. So, and then obviously, like you mentioned with the um, kind of nerve stimulation technology or radio waves or anything that can help with those symptoms. Like that, that risk, the risk yes, thing. We were absolutely. About. You know, we'll see, have to see how effective that is and how it goes, but anything that can maybe be helpful for the symptoms that are the more burdensome aspects of menopause without introducing, you know, medication or drug therapy. I always think it's worthwhile, but obviously we have to see the long-term effects of all those technologies. This is More Living with Jim Brogan. And when we come back, as we visit with Dr. Nilesh Patel, we're going to talk about the cost implications of cancer and additional opportunities here in the Knoxville market Uh, to grow support and care for cancer patients. So stay with us. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. It's Women's Health Month. It is October 1st. We're visiting with Dr. Nilesh Patel and talking about uh, women's health issues and cancer prevention, cancer treatment. He is a radiation oncologist at Tanova. He's always been generous with his time coming on our show, which we appreciate. Um, Dr. Patel, in 2019, the national economic burden for patients associated with cancer care was over $21 billion. And that's a combination of patient out-of-pocket costs and patient time, loss of time, working, things like that. Now, new talk technologies are amazing, but are you in, like, as a, as a potential patient, how do you balance technology with cost and how quickly insurance companies embrace technology and things like that? So that, that is a major challenge for us, Jim, you know, as, as a radiation oncologist, unfortunately we're getting constant, uh, let's just say pushback from insurance companies you know, to cover certain costs of treatment or cover treatments. Um, from, in terms of my field for radiation, oftentimes I get dictated, well, this is how many treatments this patient should get, or we should use this technique versus that technique. 
And obviously the goal of insurance companies is to reduce the cost of what they have to pay out for, for treatment. But on the flip side, as a, as a patient, you know, once you're diagnosed with cancer, it's natural for you to want to be able to get the best possible treatment regardless of the cost, you know, in terms of if that's going to help you overcome this cancer and make you uh, cancer free. So it, it is difficult because unfortunately with oncology, these newer tech techniques of technology, the newer drug therapies, uh, new drugs that come out on the market, they invariably are always extremely expensive when they first come out on the market. Um, and pharmaceutical companies, you know, um, they, they have a high cost for, for these new drugs. And unfortunately that gets passed I'll along pay for all consumer. that research. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see disparities in healthcare coverage when it comes to the socioeconomics or stigmas surrounding men's women's health issues? Yeah, there's no doubt that unfortunately, you know, socioeconomic status often leads to disparities in care. You know, um, folks that just don't have the resources often don't have the access or the ability to pay for the screenings or just basic, you know, health care that can help them minimize development of cancer. But once they get cancer, do they have the resources to go through the treatments that are recommended? You know, the cost of drug therapy, just even the the cost of getting back and forth to your doctor's visits, you know, just transportation, gas prices, whatever it could be. If you're already running, you know, lean in terms of your day-to-day living, you know, mm-hmm. adding those kind of factors in terms of just doing your own care for, for cancer adds that burden. Well, and I think sometimes costs, even when people are insured, get in the way of seeking even preventative care. Right. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And unfortunately, we're all busy. Life is busy as yeah. a whole. You know, whether it's your time, whether it's finances, we often find an excuse not doing these things because we're like, well, I feel good. There's nothing wrong. You know, it's not going to happen to me, that mindset. And then all of a sudden, you know, bam, you know, the door hits you. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Hits you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Now, Covenant Health has partnered with Roan State Community College and the Tennessee College of Applied Technology, Knoxville, to build a $75 million healthcare training facility. The Knox Regional Health Science and Simulation Center is designed to train healthcare professionals using comprehensive simulations. How do you see this impacting our area? Well, I think, you know, some anything that helps develop the healthcare field, helps individuals become more proficient in healthcare and administration is going to be, a, you know, a boon for our industry. Unfortunately, uh, because of COVID and the pandemic, and, and you're well aware with this, Jim, with across all industries, We've been impacted by staffing, people coming out of the workforce. Yeah, have you all seen a big impact? Yeah, absolutely. It, even you in can, the radiation field? Yeah, in radiation or oncology whole, you know, nursing, uh, support yeah. staff, you know, people have moved on or moved moved around and you just don't have as much staffing and support. And so folks that are there have to work that much harder and spend that much more time to take care of patients. So anything that can help or help, not just in terms of volume of, of support, but efficiency of support and able to do more with less is going to make a positive impact. Dr. Patel, we, I could talk to you for hours. We've just got about a minute left. What should, should you do if you have questions or concerns about your health and potential risks for cancer? Well, obviously, you know, we want to make sure that everyone has, you know, a healthcare provider that they can go to for their primary care. And that's going to be your first point of contact in terms of any question about your general health and whatnot. And obviously, if if it's unfortunate that a cancer diagnosis comes within the family or yourself, that you want to go to someone that has that experience and the certification 
of treating cancer, you know, an oncologist, medical oncologist, radiation oncologist, surgical oncologist that's board certified, you know, and has the credentials to say that, yeah, this person knows what they're doing and can provide you the best possible care. Absolutely. You know, I would have loved, we did, we, we were focusing on women's health. I know we did a show a recent while back about prostate health. We may want to revisit that at some point. There are just so many things we could be talking about. But Dr. Nilesh Patel, Tanova Healthcare, um, Radiation Oncology, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to, to visit with us. Uh, thank you, Jim. Always a pleasure. Yeah, he, he's always great. That's Dr. Nilesh Patel, again, Radiation Oncologist at Tanova. Today we've d- discussed women's health because greater health provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Uh, check us out online. Go to broganfinancial.com. You can click on radio and hear all of our podcasts. We're on every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again 3 to 4 p.m. Also, my next college class through the Pellissippi State Community College's Adult Community Outreach, PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. It's on October 18th and 25th. Thank you for tuning in. This is More Living on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.